the whole issue of using Canadian oil is, is utterly illogical and completely ignores the fact that we built a continental energy system over the last 40 years. It's designed to work like this. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash Forgotten Corner Pod, or visit our website, Forgotten Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pakani, Stony Nakoda, and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto brands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you'd like to check out other progressive podcasts from across the country, uh, which no doubtedly have lots to talk about these days uh click the link that we always provide in our show notes my name is scott schmidt i am your co-host i am here alongside uh co-host jeremy appell uh how are you doing today buddy i'm doing pretty well yeah <laughs> I mean, um, all are you? <laughs> world war three well, started no, I... How do you juxt- how do you juxtapose all the all the horribleness of the war with the wonderfulness of the balanced budget, the incredible budget, as Don Braid put it? How do you even exist with all that up and downness? Like, <laughs> Don Braid is such a fucking mark. Sometimes, like <laughs> I can't wow, imagine. Like I don't it's care. Like, why how would much you write you- that? I don't give a fuck how much you agree with a political decision made by a politician. If you use the adjective incredible to describe something they do, you are inside their ass. Like it's not, it's an unavoidable argument at that point. And then what an incredible budget. And retweeted by all of them. And it's just like, man, Braid, have some self-respect. Right. Oh my God. He doesn't need any. But uh, yeah, as for the war. Yeah. Um, obviously it's horrible and our, our my heart is with uh, victims people, of war yeah people who are the children for example who have to spend time in bomb shelters now in Ukraine yeah. and uh, um, I think it's worth acknowledging that um, I was wrong that um in sort of just uh thinking this was going to be like georgia in 2008 and And it would just be a whole lot of bluffs well well yeah and russia would just invade the 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 sort of republics that it acknowledged and not actually like try and overthrow the ukrainian government because that's what u.s intelligence was saying and uh, why would you you want to trust that shit right now yeah so (laughs) Um, I was wrong, but I do still strongly believe that we're going to regret sending all these weapons into Ukraine without any oversight over who they're going to go to. It reminds me a lot of Afghanistan in the 80s. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't around then. Maybe our guest. Did you see Leisha Corbella's tweet? Like, she doesn't even know the Afghanistan invasion in the 80s even happened. No, I didn't, but that doesn't 
surprised me. You know, she tweeted complete she dollar. tweeted that uh, Putin would have never invaded a, a nation in the 80s because Thatcher, Mulroney, and Reagan were in power. Whereas now it's like pussies like Biden, Trudeau, and Macron. This was her tweet. And it was like, bro, do you know about the Afghanistan shit in the 80s? Like, literally all the West did was uh, send some weapons over and then inadvertently train the leader of Al-Qaeda. So um, great lesson in um, how cause and effect happens with this shit and these um, global war chess moves that continuously happen over decades and decades lead to more shit. Really good time to go and listen to our uh, interview, like, two and a half hour interview over two parts with Tyler Ships, uh, Shipley, who wrote the uh, Canada and the World book, um, because um, really, really, really good example of how uh, things that happened 30 years ago kind of led to today. But we're going to talk about all this anyways. And so let's just bring in our guest who at this point is now officially going to be the most brought on guest because uh, I think we consider Roberta an actual host. Like she's not a guest; she's a host. Yeah, yeah, she's right? in our DM. Now. She's 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 in the group chat, so she's a host. So, uh, Markham Hislop from uh, Energy Media, known as Political Ham on Twitter, and uh, our friend from Nanaimo. How you Political doing, Political Ham? Look at hey, this man. clean. I wish we had him on video, folks, because like he does not look a single thing like uh, his profile pictures anymore. Mr. Hislop, welcome to the show, buddy. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I had no idea that I was the uh, the most frequently, you know, the the guest, the guest with the mostest. Yeah, yeah. You officially? Well, no, actually, I shouldn't say that. You're tied with Gosha. We've had Gosha oh, on three yes. times. I just realized no, that. No, Gosha's yeah. great, isn't she? I interview her all the time, and she's uh, basically my favorite. I phone her. I I, I message her like every month to remind her that. Like I just like the other day I messaged her and I was like, I need a booster shot of some Gosha because like every time shit gets really like, oh, fuck, what next? I phone her. And even though she reminds me that this is not good and going to continue, I don't know why she puts me at ease, though. The thing I like about Gosha is that she she gives you a, a fairly realistic analysis based on the data. And her modeling, and she's very upfront about you know her assumptions in her modeling, and she's almost always dead on, like uh, dead and on. <laughs> when, and when she's not dead on, it's because uh, the wave that she predicted arrived earlier, not later, but but earlier. Right. And the thing that that she you know she's a zero COVID advocate, and I can really sympathize with that because why in the world in public health across Canada do we instead of you know hoping for the best situation, planning for the worst? We do it the opposite. We plan, we plan for the best. And then invariably we get stuck with the worst and then we're unprepared. And we have these, you know, waves like, you know, the best summer ever in Alberta makes absolutely no sense. And Gosha cuts right through all the bullshit with her, her data and her modeling and uh, is yeah. a very realistic and refreshing take on that. Absolutely. Now it's funny because like we we're in the, we're still in a two year pandemic here and, with everything that's going on around us here in the forgotten corner around the world, like COVID isn't even on the fucking radar today, which is insanity. But before we quickly get to the topics today, I just 
want to finish that last so like markham is so clean shaven right now he looks like a teenager and but i can only see half of his face because like of this gigantic i tell them about the microphone that you're using right now because this thing shouldn't be called an eyeball it should be like a medicine ball like it's the size of a globe it's the size of your head scott it's the size of a globe which is basically the size of my head yeah Indeed. Well, I, you know, we're trying to increase the production value, improve the production values on our interviews, uh, our video interviews and our yeah. podcast. So we've gone to a, a preamp, we've gone to a, a condenser microphone, and this giant bowling ball of a uh, piece of foam fits over the microphone. And essentially, uh, I, uh, it's supposed to uh, give you the same effect as if your recording studio or your office room were, were coat, you know, had acoustic tiles on the, uh, on the walls in the, right. in the ceiling. And I'm not sure it improves the audio that much, but, uh, it does improve it, uh, somewhat. And so here I am with, uh, you know, a, a piece of foam, the does, size of Todd's head on my microphone. So you use that in your videos for energy media so people could go see it? This is actually the first time that we've uh, used it. Uh, it's fresh out of the what? box, actually. So, yeah. That's it's, impressive. It's, it's virgin gear, guys. Forgotten quarter exclusive. Absolutely. I just want to, like, eventually you're going to be on video with this thing, though, right? Like, I like, Probably like if you want to, if folks, if you want to see what Markham Hislop's head would look like, like revolving around the sun, it's go and go and get yourself the fucking uh, subscription to all energy media content in the coming future. Anyway, all right, we got we got lots to talk about today. Obviously, um, it is what is the date today? It's like the twenty sixth of February. Yeah, something like um, that. In the last week, we yeah. have had a, a Russia has invaded Ukraine. I don't think we need to tell anybody that. Uh, the Alberta government tabled its 2022 uh, budget, the first balanced budget in eight years. Um, and uh, as of yesterday, uh, the or the main players of the org, uh, organizers, I should say, of the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa are going to remain in jail where they are at very high risk of catching COVID, which is somehow the greatest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, so before we, we're going to talk a lot about oil and budgets and things like this today and, and the war. Uh, so let's just quickly laugh at Pat King. Like, did you guys see this yesterday? Um, Friday, the 25th, his fucking bail hearing. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, irony is uh, kind of lost on these clowns. And it certainly is lost on on Pat King. And uh, yes, when I saw the tweets and, you know, that he was uh, worried about catching COVID in jail. And in fact, I mean, you know, he's sitting in the courtroom during his bail hearing with, yeah. with his mask down on, mm -hmm. on his chin instead of over his nose. And I, I forget who it was probably the it was the prosecutor that brought this to his attention a few times and with to no effect. So, I mean, the guy, the guy deserves COVID. If there's anybody who deserves <laughs> to get COVID, it's Pat I think King. he's had COVID. I don't think we're, I don't think there's any argument anymore. I think he's had it. Well, he needs, These he guys needs have all had COVID. To get the more virulent, uh, the most virulent uh, form of it. Yeah. I hope he gets long COVID. I mean, Jeremy, what's your take? Because I would say my suggestion would be that obviously he's like 
it's not a sign that he anyone in his defense is actually fucking remotely worried about him catching COVID. What it tells me is that he's such a fucking coward, such a little bitch that he can't, he's so afraid of the jail cell. You know what I'm saying? Like he'll say yeah. anything, anything to get out of that jail cell, like literally anything he's, his defense is willing to do that. And that to me, like if you look at some of the uh, people in Ukraine over the last week and the way they have uh, accepted and stood at their fate, what this guy is, is if like, this is your fucking hero, you guys. And obviously no one that would think that ever listens to this show, unless they're going to actually hate listen, which welcome aboard. Um, I just, these fucking people, like I, if there's anything that could have made them look any fucking dumber than they already do, it was what has transpired in the last week. I, I grew up in the, you know, went to school in the 60s and 70s, uh, back in the days when, you know, the things were a little less structured and, and you know, the single room schoolhouses in the schoolyard yep. for the kind of nonsense. That went yeah, on. you'd, you'd and, and, hitchhike and, down and, the road and go to the single house room schoolhouse. So look, I mean, uh, you know, bullies were a, th a thing, as much a thing back then as they, they are today. And I hate bullies, I hate, absolutely hate bullies with a passion. And I've tangled with a few over over my time. And Pat King is exactly like every other bull, every bully I've ever tangled with. You know, bluster and and all sorts of you know intimidation and 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 so on. And and then as soon as the rubber meets the road, you know, the bully's down on his you know crying and yeah. and asking for you know to be spared the, the consequences of his action. So yeah. uh, are we surprised? Absolutely not. No. Does he deserve mocking? He absolutely does. And uh, mock away, gentlemen. I just go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean, I'm as listeners know, I'm not a huge fan of the carceral system and I'm very critical of it. But when these guys get arrested, <laughs> I can't help but um, uh, feel conflicted because you know you you love to see it. Well, that's the thing is like I don't think we have to disclaim the how easy it is to just sort of remove ourselves from our, you know, we need to defund the police and deal with that on a proper level argument to be like, yeah, these fuckers got a little taste of their own medicine that they've been trying to get everyone else. You know what I mean? Like if you go to stand, you know, block, take over Ottawa or whatever, or to demand the prime minister is fucking arrested. It's kind of funny if you get arrested. I mean, like, because you're yeah. an, like, this is what ha should happen to idiots. Like, we see too many people that don't deserve what's happened to them. Like, the other thing that we didn't mention was the uh, in just the insanity in both Calgary and Edmonton this week with a South Sudanese man uh, having a mental health crisis uh, shot and killed by uh, police in Calgary. Um, how the fuck you need lethal weapons to de-escalate a situation with one human being holding a stick metal or fucking otherwise beyond me. Yeah, and he had then, a knife too but who again but 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 yeah telling I mean, it doesn't me you matter. Can't, in 2022 we don't have the fucking means to de like this is the thing like forget even the cops have the means to de-escalate that without gunfire yeah but this is entirely why 
a, a mental health professional, like a trained fucking psychologist and shit needs to be on scene in these things. But anyway, well, and the- that's literally why the, <clears throat> the city of Calgary and the police set up this joint fund to invest in alternative response uh, methods yeah. for people in crisis. And uh, still, I mean, obviously, I understand it's early days, but I mean, no, it's unacceptable. It's it's such a glaring example of why um, we need more of that, right? I mean, the second we start accepting any of that, it's it's we're fucked. Like we, it's unacceptable for this shit to happen ever. The same way, the uh, just to get it off out for the listeners, uh, in in case you haven't heard, which there's almost no way you haven't, but uh, Edmonton police um fired upon a suspect of a robbery or something like this but they fucking missed him and shot through a window and killed a 59 year old man inside his apartment he was the manager of the apartment building he dies but the suspect that they were shooting at well and again remember that like i I hate jumping around here sorry guys but they fucking vaguely put out this release about this shooting and without saying like police shot this guy or whatever, but you could immediately tell from reading it that there's no fucking way that the suspect even fired upon police. Yesterday we found out that he actually had a fake gun. So Edmonton police killed an innocent man. Who's like watching fucking TV in his house. Like literally what you see on a CSI episode that you can't fucking, you know, and you're like, wow, Good thing that would never happen in real life. It's fucking trash. And I didn't even expect to get onto this subject uh, today, but like it would be wrong for us to not mention this in this week of like, holy fuck, how does every week get worse than the last kind of week? So Markham, tell like, I'm sure you saw both those stories in Alberta this week. I didn't. You didn't? uh, Oh, well, aren't that? So your first reaction must be uh, like, holy fuck. Well, I did actually read about the uh, the, uh, shooting of the the, uh, Sudanese. South Sudanese man, yes. Yeah, the other one one I had not heard of. Uh, One of the things that strikes me as I'm listening to you talk about this, Scott, is uh, the effect that wrongful uh, death suits and uh, huge awards uh, to victims might have on the behavior of police departments and the oversight boards. The only problem is, is that it's just going to be like, I'm not going to use the word taxpayer. I fucking hate that word. Public money is going to pay for that, right? Like if you, these, which is fine. These people deserve compensation for like, like whoever is attached to that 59 year old man, if you had a partner or family, they deserve some compensation for the police putting a fucking bullet in his head or lung or wherever it went. Just because like they just decided they needed to fire upon this man in a fucking in a situation. Well, well the, the, the family, because he uh, if we're talking about uh, Latro 2L, his I mean, he was the main breadwinner for his family that's still in South Sudan. So. We were still talking about the Edmonton guy, but yes, that's the oh. Sudanese. No, it's fine. It's all the same. It's all part of the same thing. Like this is the, his family back home that was getting what little money he got. Like you were saying, they deserve some sort of answers to how this shit went down and they need some compensation to go with those answers. But before, I'm going to let get your thoughts quickly, but I just want to get the last thing about these 
two stories that infuriated me, which was um, when the police put their releases out, it was, there was a lot of, at least a section in each one talking about like, you know, don't worry, the police are, they're doing okay. And they're on a leave now. And like, uh, no police were injured. And like, we're really, you know, everyone here is affected. It, this affects the police offers that do the shooting and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, man, who, well, Scott, who fucking isn't this, cares? Isn't this a, a classic illustration of why we need better journalism. We need more, more good journalism. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's the, I, I don't, I expect that this is the way police departments are going to act. Right. It's not so. Uh, Unless you're a coots blockader, in which case you get a hug. Uh, not, not another issue, uh, and fair enough. But it really, I mean, this is a, this is a classic example of the kind of journalism that holds that holds the powers to be to account, and we don't we have uh, so much uh, less of it than we used to have, and what we do have, uh, you know, in, in the post media papers and so on, is uh, is not the journalism that uh, the three of us were uh, were raised on. <clears throat> you know, practiced in our, in our career. <laughs> How old do you think I am? Yeah, it was definitely the journalism that Jeremy's grown up around. Yeah, sadly. Jeremy, I've, uh, I've, read your, I, I've read your work, my friend, and... Uh, no, he's he, a great you, journalist in you, the face you, of this. The journalism standards that were around when I got in the business in 1988. He just didn't get it from being around in 1988 at all. Yeah, well, that that is very flattering. But I do actually want to give credit where it's due. The Calgary Herald did do a very good job uh, covering the uh, killing of uh, Mr. 2L, Jason Herring, and Brittany Gervais. Fair enough. And let's let's acknowledge that. And and that and that's terrific. But that isn't always the case. In fact. It's uh, in you know in my reading of, of Alberta uh, media, it's seldom the case, and when it is, it's very often independent media like the, the kind that you write for, Jeremy, that's bringing it to the fore, or it's small newspapers like you know the Medicine Hat News that Scott writes for that's doing it. I mean, that's where never heard of it. <laughs> um, also, like the um, there's other journalists that have been in mainstream uh, outlets that did great work but all of a sudden you'll wake up one day and find that they had to quit in solidarity over something and start their own thing right but, but there's not enough of it but right just is not russell and russell like they both uh are pretty awesome right oh yeah that piece they did on the coots blockade was bro i mean so, it was yeah they're just good. i mean yeah yeah they like they're very good i would like to like learn from them um well, but, I think, uh, I think they, I mean, anyway, so, it, so, so go ahead, Jeremy, you got more? No, I, I, I just uh, think uh, Rosnell and Russell are great. Yes. So anyway, and, we don't uh, want to get. It's, it's good to see them uh, back at it. Absolutely. As, we can't, you know, Alberta absolutely needs their presence in. It's absolutely. amazing. Um, so I want to move on because not that I don't like any other week, like this topic, we could do an entire hour about. Um, but again, like you said, uh, the rumors were true or what that Putin um, was absolutely uh, ready to invade into the Ukraine. Um, we've got the globe sort of moving to both sides, picking, picking their sides in this war. And it, it seems to me like everyone 
That's true. Is against Russia. Like, well, but it, like it's, China, it's, though, are they? I mean, they seem like uh, China has been very like they haven't. I, I again, we obviously it takes time to see how this is all going to shape out, whether it's going to become a world war or not. Yeah. But um, as as we're recording, it seems that the whole world is just like, what the fuck are you doing, Russia? Well, this is like uh, even I saw the the and I, I think it's worth noting the Communist Party of Russia, which I mean, obviously isn't uh, in what? power. Putin's but he's not a communist. Go ahead. I know. I know. I'm sure our listeners will be shocked to shocked. Uh, hear that. Shocked. But um, the Communist Party of Russia, which supported the recognition of those two, like Russian majority uh, republics in the Donbass, that um, was sort of the prelude to the invasion. They were just like, okay, we need to withdraw now. Like it was one thing to recognize these republics, but this is like going way too far um and, and also it's been amazing to see like so thousands of at least thousands of people out streets of st petersburg totally uh protesting um at great risk to themselves absolutely now well, I want, Let, let's talk ahead. i want to interject here guys because one of the disturbing uh, aspects of this is the way that the Republicans, the GOP in the United States, led by Donald Trump and, and Steve Bannon and the usual suspects, uh, are lining up with Russia. Uh, you know, as a child of the, the Cold War, I never thought I'd see the Republican Party and Republicans uh, backing uh, Russian aggression. And I, I, think that's a, I think that's a real problem. Now, you don't see it as much in Canada because... Uh, I mean, my theory is that the, you know, the CPC uh, is grounded in the Western Canada. It's where most of its its support comes from. And of course, it has a very large Ukrainian community. And so it would be political death if the CPC took the, you know, echoed the Trump line. But my God, what the hell's going on south of the border uh, that, um, you know, the, we have Americans uh, backing, backing Russia against uh, an independent democracy? I mean, that's, it's outrageous. And the, you know, I feel like I'm, I've fallen down a rabbit hole looking through the, you know, the looking glass darkly. Well, well, I mean, Putin wanted to make Russia great again. I mean, right. And, and I think that's important. I think it gets lost in a lot of these discussions that um, the rise of Putin and Putinism, like as an ideology such that exists is a direct result of the failures of um the end, the end of communism and people's just living standards well, across and, Eastern Europe and plummeting and 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 here's this figure that you know, comes from you right he's KGB guy he comes and he's like I'm gonna make us right great a again. serious power again, right this I'm is gonna and and so um but basically he but basically my point which is long winded is that he's a conservative nationalist and uh these uh you know maga american first types uh see themselves in him because that's their vision for america i mean right like donald trump was like this guy's a genius that's amazing but and, let's not um, gloss over the effect of that fall of the soviet union because right. it's not just that the soviet union broke up and everything went to shit this is the this is the part where we have to understand as our as a country the cause and effect of our global relations okay the west 
put their foot on the fucking throat of Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. The sanctions in the 90s, the economic war, the economic, uh, like I said, like anvil crush, that, like that we as a West imposed on Russia as punishments for being our enemy in the Cold War or whatever, that's what led to the plummeting, the plummeting of, of people's quality of life, the, the rise of poverty. Like this is, again, go listen to our interview with Tyler Shipley, but this isn't, so I, I just want, cause there's a, we, we really want to focus on the oil today, but what I, I just want to make sure that people understand that like, no matter what we say on this show about this war or whatever, like obviously our position is that Putin's a piece of shit. But at the same time, at the okay, same time, at the same time, if we don't stop looking at wars as good versus evil, as like as though we are good, we are going to we're going to fall to the same fate that we have over and over and over and over and over again. We are a player in this shit. Things that we do today will affect down the road. I'm not comparing anyone to Hitler, but Hitler came out of the same kind of idea that Putin came out of. After the First World War, we fucking crushed Germany with economic sanctions and fucking everyone fucking, all the people suffered, the people that were innocent in the war. They suffered and they fell into poverty. And eventually this guy comes out of the ashes of that and reminds them that he can make Germany great again. Do the fucking math here, people. Then that, then it all happened. We go, oh, we're Hitler. What a piece of shit. We're the good guys. He's the bad guys. Cause and effect, folks. I well, talked about it, the beginning of the show. Okay, the Americans created Al-Qaeda. We created ISIS. We created Putin. All of those things are true. And yes, Putin must be dealt with. And this shit can't fucking continue. But if, if we think that like making the Russian people suffer on behalf of Vladimir Putin is a good idea. It isn't. Go ahead, Markham. Well, I was going to make the point that, you know, where does Trump's support comes from? It comes from disaffected blue collar workers and middle aged men. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a different demographic, but it, it bears a lot of similarities. And where does support from the, you know, the far right for, of this wing of the CPC and, and the PPC, where does their support come from? It's very often this, the same kind of uh, demographic. And so it, I think it also bears uh, mentioning that every time there, and this, you know, a lot of the focus of my journalism is the energy transition. Well, the last energy transition, the disruptive decade, you know, it, it was the switch from horses and steam to internal combustion engine and petroleum. And when, when was the disruptive decade in that energy transition? It was the 1920s. You know, so you, in addition to the, you know, what was going on in Europe with the Versailles Treaty and the punishing Germany and all that, you had this incredible economic dislocation created, you know, there's a, a decline in, in uh, any number of industries, people thrown out of work and, and then the rise of automobiles and changes in society and, you know, the way cities are, all of that stuff, right. really that got hold, the, the uh, got a hold in the 1920s. Well, flash forward 100 years, and in this energy transition, we started in the 1990s with the rise of commercial wind and solar and the EV. EV1 gets introduced in 1999, and the lithium-ion battery in the early 90s 
And then here we are 25 or 30 years later in the disruptive decade of this energy transition. And so all of the politics also takes place within the context of this bigger economic dislocation as we as we have the decline of, uh, of the fossil fuel based economy and the rise of the clean energy economy. Well, do you think that like cuz I you know I, I I think to elaborate on on your point maybe um that the situation we're in now with this energy transition, with global health crisis, with war in Europe, uh, you know, it, 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 it seems like um, the, the situation is ripe for like a major um, can, conflagra- conflagration. Is that a word? It is. It is. Okay, good. Um but I'm wondering, um, this transition to clean energy is is is, is that a, is that is that a I mean a, a positive sign in all this? Like you know, on the surface, it would seem so. Well, look, there, there are plenty of thinkers, uh, in, including uh, Klaus Schwaber from the World Economic Forum. You know, who last. Yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, somebody like Tony Siba, uh, you know, a, 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 an economist that I've had on, on my uh, interviews uh, many times, who think that the uh, uh, abundant, clean, cheap electricity, uh, which will probably be the fuel, is the fuel of the future, uh, supplemented by low carbon fuels like hydrogen and, and low carbon aviation fuel, like kind of, that sort of thing. So that's the future. And they think that it will be as disruptive uh, to uh, our economy and society in the same way that it was in this, you know, the kind of stuff we talked about that came out of the 1920s and transformed the world after the Second World War. That's where we're headed. And if we make the right choices, if we, if our policymakers make the right decisions and, and we take the, adopt the right strategies, that this is an opportunity for a great leap forward for humankind. We can take more people out of poverty. We can we can uh, reduce uh, these sort of international conflicts, a lot of which revolve around oil and gas, do they not? So if everybody's making their own electricity at home, anyway, those sorts of things. So there's an opportunity here for this to be the next leap forward for humankind if we do it right. And I, So so since we're going to totally do it wrong, because there's no world in which we do this right, we're going to just murder each other instead over like the remaining scraps of this bullshit. But but, but part of this, Scott, is the fact that we have this narrative. I'm not jaded. Particularly in Canada, dominated by Alberta, dominated by Premier Jason Kenney in the oil and gas industry, the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. You know, that's all about the threat to the, the status quo all about the threat to the to the oil and gas uh, industry and we don't have a counter narrative about how this transition to the, you know the clean energy future what i call the electric utopia or i have it on occasion. well we have a counter narrative markham it's just you and other independent media versus post media it's like any other narrative they choose the narrative that actually becomes widespread we choose the narratives that pockets of people that decide they don't want to be fucking dumb go and look for 
So Fair we enough. don't really, really reach the same demographics that the post medias and those people with all due respect to them are the most impressionable ones among us. Well, look, the thing is that uh, uh, narratives like the, the kind that I develop and, and write about and publish on, on energy media uh, are not the mainstream narrative. I get that. Uh, but I can tell you that they've got they've got some traction in places, you know, within various governments and, you know, the federal government would be one. And, and civil society, you know, the, the labor movement and the charitable uh, foundation, charity groups, nonprofit groups, that sort of thing. And eventually, the, because that narrative, in my opinion, is more rooted in the actual evidence and where we're going. And the other narrative is basically rooted in a fantasy that's, you know, goes back to the 1980s, you know, uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, then eventually the evidence the, the reality catches up to the narrative. And it may not be that my that the, the clean energy, the electric utopia narrative is prominent now. It may not be uh, maybe not commonly accepted, but there's a very good chance that five years from now or 10 years from now it will be. And it'll be because people, you know, like myself, journalists and other folks who are involved in this, keep writing about it and reporting on it and analyzing it and, you know, pointing yeah. to what's going on in the bigger world outside of Canada. And by the way, we have to acknowledge that Alberta is one of the most inward looking provincial kind of political cultures in all of North America, right up over Mississippi. And, and that's a, a bit of a problem. And it's always, everything gets, gets filtered through the Alberta lens. And, and the reason I, I, we started the Energy Talks podcast, for example, is to talk to experts outside of, of Canada. When you talk to experts in, in, North, in uh, the United States, but particularly in Europe and Asia, it's in a completely different world. It's, you get a, a totally different perspective on where the energy transition is going, how the energy system is being transformed. And, and eventually that reality, Canada and, and the, you know, the oil and gas industry and, and the conservative parties and so on, they can't ignore it forever. Soon enough, the evidence will be so overwhelming. Uh, uh, okay, so I, okay, tons of opportunity. We've done this. We've, we've talked with you extensively about the energy transition and all the opportunity we have in the world. I want to talk today about what's actually fucking happening right now, because right now, we have Alberta, speaking of politics, not to be a Debbie Downer here, you guys, but seriously, like we can today, I don't feel like talking about opportunity right now. Like we, we need to deal with the fact that it, like you can't look a direction without seeing holy fuckery and it's all like trails back to the same bullshit. So, okay, let's capitalism. So I'm, I'm all for being I'll angry. Tee you up. I'll tee you up. You can have as much time as you want. I'll fucking tee you up. Just give me a second here. Jason Kenney. Capitalism profits off of war. Like, if you haven't figured that out by now, look at this week. Kenny is actually taking some heat, but it seems to be, you know, the, the Twitter heat from those of us that pay attention. But he took some heat for, you know, uh, taking this opportunity to promote the oil and gas opportunities and talk and make this about and whatever. So we currently have just had our first balanced budget, balanced budget in eight years. That is entirely due to uh, our government sucking and not spending near enough money and due to resources, just giving us like $13 billion that we didn't fucking see coming. That is due to uh, a, crazy spike in oil world oil prices 
uh, unrest is clearly what's leading to these types of oil prices. The gas is supposed to go up all over Canada this morning. It's Saturday the 26th. Because of this war on Russia with Russia, this this Russian invasion of Ukraine. So, all I'm saying here is, um, let's talk about this this connection between sort of Alberta as a province and the budget and and where we are, and and this crazy juxtaposition of how like horrible war is over there and how yet it's going to totally benefit the shit out of Alberta and our premier and his friends know it enough to actually fucking talk about it well sure i mean they're using the unrest and in the in the war in in, uh, in russia and ukraine uh, you know for their own purposes and what so what are the what are those purposes uh, you know first of all uh to push the ethical oil angle right you know so the russian oil is bad and it's evil and we should stop importing it so this was a big theme on, on twitter today and if you go to my twitter feed you'll see that i i debunked that and if you look at the canadian energy regulator data it's hilarious the amount of oil that Canada imports from Russia over the last decade, in fact, there's a chart, it's a bar chart, and with all the countries that we import oil from, and the Russian Federation is the gray uh, part of the bar, and on two of the years between, you know, over the last decade, it's a very, very tiny little sliver on the top of the bar, and then for the other eight years, you can't even see it. That's how little Russian oil we import, but of course, this gets all conflated. The can't, can, you know, the Alberta Energy War Room and the oil sands action. Where know, are they up to these organization. Days. Hang on, let me let me finish. So they, Mark they wouldn't know he's blocked. And the next thing you know, they 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 take data back going back to 1988 or the year 2000, and they say, look at how much oil we've imported from Russia, completely ignoring the fact that we imported almost nothing in the last you know decade. And then they make the argument for, you know, the ethical oil argument that this should be Canadian oil, and then we should resurrect the Energy East pipeline, and let's go build a pipeline through Quebec, and, and all of their pet, their pet project, they use it to advance those ideas. And the point here I want to make is that one of the things that Kenny and the, uh, and the industry does, and it's AstroTurf organizations that does really well, is manage political narratives. They are masters at taking simple ideas and beating the populace over the head with them over and over and over and over and over again till it gets traction and, and then it exerts pressure on politicians in other provinces and at the federal level and all of that. And it I mean, it's just yeah. insert country here, right? Like it's just this time it's Russia. It's usually Saudi Arabia yeah. or China. Venezuela. Venezuela. Right, right. Like we, it's why, uh, why don't we use Canadian oil? Well, probably because you all told Pierre Trudeau to go fuck himself in the 80s, right. I think. It, it, exactly. <laughs> like, it, it's which fine. is hilarious. Well, 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 when there's an oil boom, then these conservatives are just like, get your filthy hands off our oil. Like, right. We'll, right. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever the energy companies here want to do with it. And then when oil prices are low, it's like, Trudeau, why, why aren't you... Why aren't you buying exclusively Canadian oil? Why are you buying oil from the Saudis and well, and, and I want to read something to Markham that kind of speaks to the point he was making about how little oil we actually get from Russia. And just actually, this is sort of like speaks to how little trade at all we have with Russia. Um, Sarah Rieger is a journalist out of Calgary, and she wrote an article for Well Simple uh, that was... Oh. 
uh, I haven't seen any of her stuff since she left. It's fucking, it's a good one. It's a explain swift, which I hadn't even heard of, but that's basically like the global communication system that allows banking transactions between countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like there's a lot of pressure for there's some inner pressure for these for countries in the e, like US and the EU to cut Russia out of that. And she wrote this article about like what the consequences would be of that. And of course, the consequences would be people get fucked and people get fucked. Right. But anyways, um, just this this I screenshot of this to read this morning because it kind of speaks to um what we mean when we talk about like there's no good versus evil anymore this is bad like no one's uh no one's good in any of this and like i'm not saying we can't we're like putin's like not somebody we need to fucking do something about this is bullshit he's a piece of shit but we oddly will kind of still do our thing to take advantage of the situation for canadians and canadian economy and western capitalism so this says fen hampson a professor at carleton university told well simple that cutting off russia would be a far more consequential move since i this was about iran since iran isn't nearly as connected with the global economy as russia is so this was a quote it would be costless for canadians basically to sanction the shit out of russia because we don't do that much trade with russia and we've just announced a new package of sanctions that is basically going to bring that down to zero. So, and then it goes on to say, but like for Germany, who gets half its natural gas from Russia, they're pretty fucked if Russia gets screwed in this. Like a lot of the European countries rely. So it's this whole article is, about, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's all about the economic ripple effect of just trying to fuck over Russia doesn't just fuck over Russia or just the russian people which is really who takes the brunt of it but why do you what i mean obviously no why but like how do you think they continuously get away with markham being able to play up these relations with these countries is like where we get this what we need you know like how do you even get away with lying about like how much russian oil we get or whatever like i just can't fucking take it anymore well, because nobody in the mainstream media calls them on it. I mean, it's, it's independent journalists like me that call them on it. And we have a, you know, my megaphone is a whole lot smaller than, uh, than post media's. Your microphone right. isn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, but, but this is all new, you see. Now that I have, the, now that I have the, big, the big fuzzy ball on my microphone, maybe my megaphone will get bigger. But anyway, nevertheless, yeah. nevertheless, nevertheless, I mean, this is, uh, I've been calling, uh, you know, cap on its bullshit uh, since uh, we started Energy Media in, in 2015. And the, the part of the problem here is that they get to basically lie and fudge and prevaricate and, and manipulate the, the truth and, and nobody, and, and well, I mean, you know, post post media in particular, but uh, you know, lots of the electronic media as well, simply parrot that, and nobody, yeah. and nobody's interested in in fact checking and and providing alternate analysis. So if if that's the case, then why are we surprised that they get to uh, you know a yeah. introduce that narrative and then get to make it part of the, the dominant part of the Canadian energy narrative? That that's absolutely like um so Jeremy, I wanted to ask you something about all of this because um how do you what do you make of seeing like we have obviously we have almost every Canadian 
straight up like I stand with Ukraine and totally understand that and and like we I I stand with victims of war so the Ukrainian people are very much somebody that we need to stand with right now but how do we sort of I don't know square the circle or whatever about the idea the fact that like this kind of sort of blanket support for the western side in all of this allows them to just kind of quietly go about taking huge advantage of the capitalistic benefits from having this fucking war. And where do we start to like, when do we stop being supporters of Ukraine? If we start reminding people that you guys like, don't you think it's just like a little bit weird that we're like super quick and willing to, as a Western society profit out of this immensely? Oh, Shipley had a great thread on Twitter sort of outlining the history of this. I retweeted it, but I don't know if too many people saw it. But Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's a context to this. I mean, there's context to everything. It's an act of aggression still, and I don't want to underestimate that in myself. And a lot of people are way smarter than me. I didn't think that was going to happen, and it did. Um, But there is, of course, a context of the... Um, the plummeting of standards of living after the fall of communism, particularly in Ukraine, um, and um, having, um, as a result, this leader like Putin, um, who has like imperial ambitions, but not like you know, all these like idiots in the media are like, oh, he wants to resurrect the Soviet Union. Like, no, he doesn't, not a communist. He 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 wants to go back before that. He wants to resurrect like the Tsar's, um, you know, Russian Empire, and um, yeah, I mean, at, you, we know oil companies are going to make a killing from it. Weapons companies are going to make a killing from it because I mean, Canada sent Ukraine eight million dollars in, in 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 lethal aid, as they call it, before the invasion. And now, I mean, they're going to be under so much pressure to send even more. And I, I, you know, I think I said this earlier, but we're going to regret just giving, just pouring weapons into Ukraine uh, like we did in Afghanistan when the Russians invaded there and just not having any safeguards. And um, it's not going to help matters. It's, you know, it's going to. It's gonna make this conflict longer, shit further, like kicking down the road. And yeah, and I mean, I don't, you know, I if I had the answers, I'd be making a lot more money. Um, but uh, or if at least if I pretended to have answers, um, guys, I want I want to jump in here with a point because uh, there's a some relevant work that's been done by international consultancy Wood McKenzie. And these guys have, you know, the oil giants as their clients. So these guys are pretty mainstream, but it also has relevance for the budget, the Alberta budget, which we haven't got a, had a chance to talk to, talk about yet. Okay, so basically what Wood McKenzie has said in a, in a number of analyses, and I've had a, a couple of their, uh, their um, uh, executives on to talk about it in my, in my interviews, is that there has been chronic underinvestment in oil, particularly oil, uh, over the last number of years. That's one of the reasons why prices are so high is because, you know, like the Americans, for instance, haven't ramped up shale production because they want to, you know, make money instead of losing money. And so that, and, and the other thing is the energy transition. If you're an investor, 
you're very reluctant to put your money into oil and gas because you, you know, when is peak oil coming? It could become fairly quick, come fairly quickly, and it's it's risky. So oil and gas has become oil in particular has become very risky, and so there's undersupply, and that's likely to continue all through the 20s. We're, we're likely to see high prices all through the 20s, the last great oil boom. And then peak oil demand arrives around 2030, maybe 2032, something like that. And then all that goes away and there's no more oil boom. And then electrification of transportation cuts into the oil markets and, and consumption begins to decline. And then it's a free for all as producing nations try to outcompete each other and they flood the market and, and prices, uh, prices drop. So Alberta is well positioned for literally the next better part of this decade to do really well uh, financially. The, the government will, ha will have uh, revenue from the oil sands because a lot of these, you know, you're probably most of your listeners understand that the, bit the bitumen royalty from the oil sands uh, is low in the in initial stages of these projects because they're very capital intensive. And then as the capital gets paid off, then the, the bitumen royalty goes up. That's a big reason why the you know the the ten billion dollars that came from from uh, the oil sands for this particular budget. That's why it, it happened. So Alberta is going to have a boom for most of this decade, and the government's going to do very well. And it, like every other government in Alberta that's had a had a boom, it's going to do really well. And it has nothing to do with what it actually did, but that's and and. Uh, Investors are going to do really well. So capital is going to make out like a bandit. The, the companies are going to do very well. The people who are not going to do very well are workers. There's probably good. The Alberta has lost 33,000 oil and gas workers since 2014. They're set to lose. The industry is set to lose another 50,000 probably within this decade. Most of them will be from Alberta. And so the, the, uh, that's the basic, the basic trend. And it's going to play out globally as well. And I'm very curious to see how that this bigger trend, this sort of mega trend, uh, will play out with the conflict we're seeing, you know, with uh, that Russia initiated, because it's a big oil producer. So where, you know, how is that going to affect the supply of oil if there are sanctions and, you know, eventually and and what happens, you know, in Europe where they say, OK, fine. Well, well it know. creates scarcity, which is fan fantastic for Western capitalism, especially here where we clearly, like I read in that quote, don't actually suffer from any of the sanctions we put on Russia, whereas Germany or several other European nations Kind of are like, well, what the fuck do we do? Because if we sanction them, our people suffer too. Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, that was another thing that that led to me and, and a lot of other people um, downplaying the the threat of a Russian invasion was the Nord Stream pipeline. Sure. From right from from, from Russia to, to to Europe to bring gas there. I I didn't think that uh, the Russian government would risk that over um ukraine but obviously they they had other plans but um yeah and i mean you can't help but notice the contrast between this you know uh kenny uh you know going to these pro ukraine rallies and you know saying slava ukraini which is has its origins as a far-right slogan while at the same time i mean you know it's happy that this is happening because 
I mean, it's brought his government back from the dead. Like, like this is, uh, you know, the start. And I will he get reelected? Well, well, I don't know. Uh, Who can he? I mean, I yeah. bet she gets 20 points in approval rating out of this balanced budget. It's fucking it, well, well, it's exactly. And, and, and that's because of a conflict in, uh, you know, across the world that has, um, I mean, already sent like signals to the market that there's going to be like constraining. And not not uh, to give spot. you some positivity in this terrible conversation we're having, because I like all the negativity right now, but uh I mean, we did run a poll question, which is extremely unfucking scientific, uh, but it was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of but consistent answers. With the Anyways, the majority of them, well, the question was basically like, do, do you, is balancing a budget, the budget, a priority for you? And it was like, no, was the majority of, of this poll. And it was kind of like, okay, like, I think this is a really good opportunity for Albertans to see in real time how little deficits or balanced budgets fucking mean to them uh, aside from the, like, it's just how the money is spent. That's being spent. Like if you, if you spend money properly on your people, it's good. If you don't, it's bad. So like, we're going to see that like, like watch over the next year, Alberta, like with this balanced budget, is it going to make your pocketbook better did your cost of living get better no it's gonna get worse continuously like it always fucking does and that's just how this system works and so i think maybe albertans actually have a fucking shot at like figuring this out once and for all that like okay now we have look the NDP came in and they, oh, all they did was spend on, on, and deficits. And then the UCP came in and they spent more and had bigger deficits. And then everything turned around in the oil industry and everything we've been saying this whole time that the government has fuck all to do with the, that other than its stupid decisions. And then they get a bunch of money, right? And all the while, through all of those tr- changes, Albertans lives have just become more and more expensive and fucking hard because we talk about this big average wage that we have in Alberta, but that is blown up by the top. We have huge amounts of low wage earners. We have the worst inequality in the fucking country. And these booms that are so good for Alberta every single fucking time make it harder for everyday citizens to live their lives. All that does is make gas more expensive. Go ahead, Mark. I want to make a point. I've had an opportunity. This is in the context of COVID-19, but uh, I've had a a number of experts make this uh, comment during the interviews, but I'll I'll focus in on Dwayne Bratt, who's a professor of political science at Mount Royal University. In his opinion, Jason Kenney and the UCP are the most incompetent government in the history of Alberta. Like, not only are their policies bad, okay, they can't even manage the day-to-day business of government. So, uh, Lorian Hardcastle, professor at the University of Calgary in law, what does she say? She said, look, look at how they do public health orders. You know, they, they, they make the decision, uh, a hard decision they should have made a month or, you know, a week or two or three ago. They make it 
on Thursday night. And by Friday, the poor bureaucrats have to have the public health order re uh, ready and, and ready to release and implement. And of course, it's sloppy and, and there are all kinds of holes in it and, and, it's, and it and turns out to be, you know, bad, bad, a bad public health measure. It's because these guys are really incompetent. They, they can't, they, they, they got a weak bench. They, they, they've got, I mean, we can go on and on about this, but this is also true on the energy side of things. Kenny and, and crew are incompetent. And so uh, if you want, want to wonder why, competence married to maliciousness and zealotry is a really bad, bad combination. But if you point. get lucky, if you get lucky, like it appears they have, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I mean, but we're not going to fund anything in the meantime. So, I mean, again, he's just doing the no, we're not gonna use it times 10, right? Like we're just going to, we're going to let infrastructure fall apart and kick that can down the road. And we're going to decimate public uh, health can still and by not funding it properly. And then, and the way that they are, the, the, I don't want to get into this today because we got to go, but the way that the, the narrative becomes like, like you start seeing post-secondary institutions being like, thanks for the in, like what was the fucking <laughs> university of Alberta president doing writing a lick their taint, letter of how good this budget is in the face of a 54 million dollar cut and i am probably wrong we can look it up but i'm i pretty sure it was like 84 million last year for just yeah, the well, university of alberta alone thank you so much for um cutting our budget less than you did last year it's right fucking gross it's and especially i mean i i, I mean it, <laughs> Though the cynical part of me is, I mean, they're the, it allows the right. I mean, they're in contract negotiations with the faculty association, and as you see in Lethbridge, it allows uh, the board of governors to be like, "Sorry, there's no money. Funds are yeah. getting cut. We can't give you, um, you know, a, the first pay increase in God knows how long, or." Um, provide more security or like fucking you know, give us various, you know uh, i don't know cap fucking utilities again so that people aren't fucked instead of giving a rebate on a price total that we won't even reach that won't even start until october like we so on one hand we have a province that just continues i've written about it this quietness and this fucking rollover and die attitude before the organizations get fucked by the government continue to say, thank you for fucking me. And then on top of that, we have what Markham's talking about, which is this insanely mis insane mismanagement of this fucking pitfall of fucking money they just got that's going to last a little while that they could actually do something proper not only to transition the fucking energy sector to something that like is sustainable but to also you know rebuild fucking infrastructure and blah 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 instead we're going to spend it all on a shift to privatization and healthcare and, and education like we always fucking do and the whole province goes thank you very much and they'll probably get reelected on this balanced budget and i'm gonna fucking throw up markham we have to go soon but i want to give you some final thoughts on all of this shit so what do you uh what do you you said like we're looking at maybe like a decade of like the rest of this decade of the you think that's how good this sort of spike is going to be and how long it's going to last for them 
Like it can't possibly stay in the $95 uh, fucking barrel range or whatever. No, it probably won't. It'll probably be between sixty and seventy dollars on average. I mean, this is Wood McKenzie's analysis, okay? Not not mine, but I think it's I think it's credible, and I think it's it's uh, it's realistic and likely. And remember that the you know we have this perception of the oil sands, which you know is probably accounts for about eighty percent of the oil production in in Alberta. We have this perception of it as being a a high cost producer. And it used to be a high cost producer. And then after the big price crash in 2014, the, the companies uh, uh, put a lot of emphasis on driving their production costs down. And now their break even in West Texas intermediate prices are like 35 to 30 to $35. And many of them are forecasting that by mid-decade 2026, they're going to be down in the 20s. It'll be like 25 bucks. So they're going to be incredibly profitable. And one of the ways they're going to do that is by adopting digital technology and automation and artificial intelligence and all that stuff so they can lay off workers. That's the, the big trend in, in uh, this industry. It's a, it's a mature industry. It's a sunset industry. And now it's set up for the, this technology to replace, replace workers. And so uh, there's going to be these crazy trends going on. Lots of money for the government, lots of and, and then workers being laid off. And it, it's going to be a, a very chaotic uh, time, I think, over the, the next couple of years. And through it all, uh, Kenny and the industry and CAP and so on are going to keep going with these ethical oil narratives and all of the, the, the bullshit that we've seen since, uh, you know, 2018. Which means and, fucking uh, nothing, by the way. Yeah, a, a lot of it's just, you know. Well, but like it has like it's not like Justin Trudeau can just be like, okay, just use Canada's oil now and that's the end of it. Anyways, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, yeah, I saw Kelly Kreiderman, who uh, you know I usually don't agree with, and uh, but I can see where she's coming from. Uh essentially pull this uh ethical oil argument uh back out, which I was uh, very disappointed to see her doing saying that, well, um, you know, Russia isn't going to stop producing oil. They're getting into green energy. So it's either we buy our oil or we buy like Russia's uh, energy. And I mean, very stupid argument. And I and I think Kelly Kreiderman of all people ought to know better. The thing that bugs me, go ahead, the, the Eastern Canada imports about 700,000 barrels of oil a day. 77% of it comes from the United States. 13% comes from Saudi Arabia. And the rest come from like Norway and the United Kingdom and Nigeria. So, you know, if you're looking at, at the, who's crowding Canadian producers out of the market in Quebec and Ontario and the Maritimes, it's the Americans. And given the fact that we ship three and a half million barrels a day of oil south, to the Americans, there's not a hope in hell that the government is going to intervene in, in order to keep them out. That's not going to happen because, of course, you know, even Biden would retaliate with against the Canadian imports. So the whole issue of using Canadian oil is is utterly illogical and completely ignores the fact that we built a continental energy system over the last 40 years. It's designed to work like this. Well, and here's the other thing that I can't stand about this ethical oil argument, because to stand up there and suggest when you stand up there and say, like, you need to stop, we need to stop getting oil from these countries that have shitty human rights. All right. So some people bring up that Canada doesn't have the best human rights. That's a good argument, too. 
But here's what fucking blows my mind about this. When you sanction or when you fuck over another country economically for the betterment of you, who are you fucking over? You're fucking over the people that live there. So for you to stand there and say, like, we can't use this fucking oil because they mistreat their people. You're saying, like, our solution to the fact that they mistreat their people is to fucking make sure their people suffer even more than whatever's going on over there. Like, I don't fucking understand that. Anytime the only people people suffer, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. People suffer in all of this shit. This is just. The, 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 the position, the global positioning on where the oil comes from or who's in charge of the oil. I mean, all like all of this couple, shit. Couple is just, final, a couple yes, final thoughts here, Scott. Okay. So first of all, not one drop of oil gets traded on any kind of ethics basis. You're not kidding. One drop. You're it fucking gets... kidding. <laughs> I, I uh, thought it was all. I, I can tell you. I, I thought capitalism was nothing sarcastic. but ethics, like but, ethics, but, number look, one, I mean, profits, oil, number two. Oil gets traded on the basis of price and grade. That's what it gets traded on. You know, where it comes from and, and the, the human rights and all of that is just a canard. It's just a distraction. So that's, for, that's number one. Secondly, the, uh, I want to make a point here about who is the user of oil. It's the automakers. It's, the, it's cars. It's not consumers. And when the, the, the uh, well, in the first instance, in the second instance, you can think of the consumers, the auto industry dictates what the demand for oil is going to be. And when the auto industry says, hey, you know what? We like this new fuel better. We like electricity better. And they spend $270 billion in 2021 to begin uh, to restructure factories and build new factories to make electric vehicles. That's a big message to the oil industry. And it's not going to be that many years. It'll certainly be easily within my lifetime. And I'm an old, old geezer for crying out loud, despite the fact Scott thinks I'm 30, I look like I'm 32 with, uh, with a shaved face. Nevertheless, yeah. I look older than you, Markham. That is, that is true. I will Jeremy agree with does that. Look like with my hairline. But look, let's, let's keep this in mind. Uh, these, it's not that going to be that long. And we're going to see the power of oil diminish because of the electrification of transportation. And it, I don't think in Alberta, uh, many Albertans understand how fast that's going to happen. It is astonishing the pace at which the auto industry, the global auto industry is making the switch to electric. And well, I mean, thank fucking Christ anyways, because- So a lot of the stuff we're talking <laughs> about, you know, domestic oil politics, ethical oil politics, gas. Conflicts that are caused or affected in some way by, by oil. A decade or two from now, we may not, we wouldn't be having this conversation with any luck. Well, I mean, unfortunately, not to end on a sour note, but I mean, might not be around in two decades from now. We'll see what happens in fucking uh, Eastern Europe and Western Asia right now uh, as the rest, rest of this shit plays out. But we have to call it quits here on today. Because um, it's is it is it right or wrong to give Mo a really long, hard, editable episode when he doesn't even want to come to the recording? Like, is that what we should? It's like, it's it's the right thing. To it's do. the right thing to do. I thought so. Yeah. Too. Okay. So whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. Yeah, that's right. Um, but anyways, folks, we just stay safe out there. Continue to do that. Uh, just really hope that everything. Um, 
doesn't get any, I don't know. I don't even know what to say anymore. Like, I don't want to, like, I try to say something hopeful, like, oh, I hope this all resolves. I, I know it's not gonna. And I don't want to be like, well, I hope we're not all in World War III by the time you're listening to this. I don't even know that that's true anymore. I, anyway, but Markham, thank you so much for being here with us this Saturday morning to talk about some of this stuff. Um, can I tell a quick story just to play? I mean, I guess, but it better be fucking quick because Moe's, I can feel them in my head right now. Just kidding. Go in ahead. In 1979, when I started university uh, at the University of Saskatchewan, the, the big issue on campus was intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles, right? The threat, of, the threat of nuclear war. And here we are 40 some years later and still around, you know? And so my, uh, uh, Scott, maybe this will help you sleep at night. This too will pass. There will be suffering, unfortunately. And, and we all, you know, we're with you on, on that point, but this too will pass. And there is the opportunity for a brighter future, in my opinion. Well, I, and I appreciate that. And it's always good to end on a positive note, I guess, or at least a glimmer of positivity so jeremy should we end it there do you have any last words before i think no i think uh i think markham uh hit the nail on the head um that um there's always light at the end of the tunnel even if it doesn't seem that way and even i mean it's easy for us to say 100 percent. that was gonna be what north american homes but exactly um i didn't hug my kid and put her on a train yeah Sender exactly at the, i mean so i don't really your get kid at all that. but that's another thing <laughs> what's that <laughs> anyways uh at all you bugger always great to shoot the shit with you markham um absolutely it's hard to be like on one or two topics on the show like this because it's a it's not a one or two topic kind of time well I I mean, it really did, is just the most fucking tumultuous time for the audience too much I mean, I think they're all thinking about these things pretty much exactly the way we are, where it's just like a to- the topics are just bouncing around in your head. And it's just like, which one's at the forefront of your brain this minute? You know? Yeah. Do you have ADHD, buddy? No, my wife actually does, though. I actually like. I, I have undiagnosed it. ADHD. Yeah. See, so does she. She takes like medication for it and shit. I don't know if I should say that on air, but whatever. She doesn't care. But um, yeah uh maybe i don't know you become your partner as you hang out with them um so maybe i'm starting to get a little bit but it's like i I don't think you can possibly just stick to one subject uh in this kind of time and whoever is congratulations on somehow not paying attention to the other 27 things that are going on right now but anyway it's a time in the show where we thank those of our patrons who go above and beyond anything we could ever ask for. And Jeremy is going to go above and beyond for you this week, or I'm going to kick his ass. That's so try it. You heard it here first. He's very, yes. He's very eager to finally get some things out to you guys. So uh, some swag in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. And with an it's apology good. letter, it's good quality. <laughs> of, yeah. And a, like a, like a lipstick kiss from Jeremy on every fucking note. Anyway, um to J- darius that if you want me to, <laughs> to darius Beargar, to nicola dinicola to chris sterwold to dave bond miller to the big red machine and also to welcome aboard to farah shadri we appreciate everything that you guys have done for us and uh continue to do for us and uh, to other uh, patrons and listeners thank you for everything you guys do as well 
yeah, we'll see you next week. We, uh, I'm trying to line up a really cool guest for next week. So uh, she's um, said yes. So hopefully that all works with scheduling. Anyway, uh, love you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.